This is a messianic study of the book of Romans. It's given in a midrashic setting, which is audience participation. It was given during the months of June through August 2008. The discussion leader is John Behrens. He's pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship. You can reach our website at www.crimsonthread.com. There you can find this study in its entirety as well as other resources for your messianic study of the scriptures. This discussion has been edited and a number of the comments have been either truncated or removed for clarity and continuity. Okay, we left off last time in Romans 5 and we finished verse 11. And what we talked about was the idea of substitutionary atonement last time. What we're going to do now is go into a, a, a riff on uh, Christ and the Torah and, and all those kinds of things. And this is where I think many people go astray when they're studying Romans. To get us sort of lined up before we start, and for those of you who have been in Midrash, we've been through this so this will be a review for most of you. One of the things that you'll hear, and, and Paul will say this directly, is you are not under law, but you're under grace. That's scriptural. Okay? That, you can't argue with that. That's in scripture. Um, one of the things that they will say, however, is that we're under the new covenant, so the old covenant, which is the Torah, doesn't apply. Okay? And that's where I want to spend just a minute before we get into Romans. And you can look at the, the New Covenant in lots and lots of different places. Um, the one, it, I mean, it's in Deuteronomy, it's, it's in uh, Ezekiel, it's in Isaiah, Jeremiah. Uh, most people are most familiar with it in Hebrews, which is a restatement of Jeremiah. Uh, and that's where I want to go because that's where most people are familiar with it. And there's, there's a couple of words in there that are important. So I'm in Hebrews 8, verse 8. And it says, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. All right, so a couple of things before we go on. First off, who's the covenant with? Israel, Israel and Judah. Not with Gentiles. There are no Gentiles mentioned here. Second thing is, he finds fault with them. Okay, that's a key, key phrase here. The problem here is not the covenant. The problem is the parties to the covenant. And in fact, the whole problem is one of the parties to the covenant. Okay, you got the covenant itself and you got two parties to the covenant. Covenant is the Torah. And the parties are God and Israel. Well, we know God's not the problem. And what he says here is he finds fault with them when he says. And so the, the problem that requires the reissuing of the covenant is not the covenant. It's, the, it's them, Israel. Israel and Judah. Okay? So let me continue. I'm, I'm in verse 9 and a half. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. All right, now, again, we've all been through this, but we've got some new folks that haven't. Notice the shift in person here. We started off, I will make a new covenant with Israel and Judah. Now, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Judah has dropped out. And what I will tell you, my belief is Judah has not dropped out. Judah has joined in. So what you have is this is reunified Israel. Okay, uh, The house of Israel, the house of Judah reunified, and they are now just Israel. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. All right, if, if this were in Hebrew instead of Greek, which it is in Jeremiah, okay, so we can go back to Jeremiah and read what the Hebrew is. We don't have to guess. Okay, so when it says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, the word there is Torah. The law of Moses, if you will, which doesn't mean law, but it means teaching and instruction. And I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, again, for those of you who are regulars, you, you know all this, but I'm going through it sort of Torah 101. The problem is not with the words of the Torah. Those are the words of God, and they are eternal. They do not change. They do not go out of style. They do not fade. The problem is with the people. And so when God brought the tablet, or Moses brought the tablets down from Sinai, the laws were written on tablets of stone as a metaphor for hearts of stone. And what God wants to do is write the Torah on hearts of flesh. And he says that in Deuteronomy. He says that in Ezekiel. He says, you know, when he give you a new heart. He says it over and over and over again in the Torah and the Tanakh. What I really want to do is I want to write this on hearts of flesh so that it's in your heart. The covenant written on tablets of stone is out of place. Okay? The words are not a problem. The medium is a problem. And so you've got these things on tablets of stone, and which represents the stony hearts of the people, and at some point, when the New Covenant finally kicks in, the law is going to be, Torah, is going to be written on hearts of flesh, which is where God wanted it to be from the beginning. Understand that when he writes this on hearts of flesh, the words that are written do not change. Okay? There is not a problem with the words of the Torah. And Paul will say this same thing, but he's going to go through a whole lot of stuff before he gets there. And so I want to lay this out before we dive into all that stuff, which is all very important. I'm not, I'm not minimizing the stuff that Paul's writing. But you can very easily get lost as you're weeding your way through this with Paul's long run-on sentences. You can get lost. And so what I'm doing is laying a marker for us up front. And what I've said at the beginning of this is Paul is not inventing a new religion. Paul is having a conversation within Judaism. And he's having a conversation between himself, Orthodox Jews, Messianic Jews, and Messianic Gentiles. Okay? 
and he's not inventing something new, and God doesn't invent anything new. Let's, go, let's finish up the thought in Hebrews here. Verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he made the first one obsolete. And what is becoming, notice the word becoming, obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. What is ready to vanish away? The tablets of stone. The tablets of stone are what are ready to vanish because they won't be needed anymore. They are obsolete. And now for those of you who have a military background that I do, like I do, obsolete does not mean doesn't exist anymore. Obsolete means you keep using it until you get the new version. And if you notice the conditions for the new covenant, and, and I'm not going to go through that much more in here, we ain't living under the new covenant, folks. Israel and Judah are not reunified, they are not in the land, and the Torah has not been written on our hearts. And oh, by the way, furthermore, we're sitting here teaching each other about Torah. So none of these, none of these conditions, if you will, applies at this point. It will in the future. And Paul says in Ephesians that we have been given the Holy Spirit as a marker, as an earnest, as a claim check, saying, you guys are going to be under the new covenant when we finally kick in. So we've got an assurance that it applies to us, but we are not yet living under those conditions. Did I say all that sort of made sense? Yeah. I agree with what you're saying. It makes perfect sense, John, but unfortunately the majority of the churchmen would take up a case and argue with you on that because they're building their whole foundation on the fact that we are in the new covenant. And I, and I understand what you're saying, and that's why I'm trying to say it clearly in words of one syllable. Okay? And I am, all I'm doing is reading Scripture here. I have not rolled anything new. And, 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 and if you read the words that are in Scripture, he finds fault with them. And something is going to vanish away, and what I am asserting that is, is the tablets of stone, because when I go back to the Hebrew in Jeremiah and read the same thing, he says the Torah is what's going to be written on your hearts, and the Torah is the law of Moses. And, and I understand that much of the Sunday church understands that differently. God bless them. I used to be one of them. That's where I got saved. God love them, and he does. But I'm saying in this instance, they are simply incorrect. And as I say, you may believe that or not as you choose, but uh, that's my reading of Scripture. All right, so now back to, um, anything else? Yeah, let's, all right, back to uh, Romans. So we're in Romans 5, and the, and the first thing he talks about is reconciliation. And we've been reconciled through the death of Messiah, and we talked about that last time. It's the death of the firstborn that affects the reconciliation. Okay, we saw that in, in Egypt, where, where God told Moses, all right, I'm going to do all sorts of stuff, but understand that until the death of the firstborn, they ain't coming out, you ain't coming out. And then we talked about God made a substitute there. He wiped out the firstborn of Egypt, and in return for that, he took for himself the firstborn of Israel. And he then made a further swap, firstborn of Israel, for the Levites. We, we talked about all that last time. Verse 12. Therefore, 
Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through one man, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. All right, again, you need to unpack that. I am going to assert that what he's saying here is everybody died before Sinai. Okay? And the reason everybody died before Sinai is because they were sons of Adam. And what Adam did was he killed all of his progeny. And the, the example I would use is if, if I were driving down the road in my pick-em-up truck and I had my young child in the front seat and I fell asleep or was drunk or something else and I slammed that thing into a tree and killed my child, would my child be dead? Yes. Would my child personally have done anything deserving of death? No. Okay. Simply dead because he was my child and was in the car with me when I did something stupid and them's the breaks of the game. And that's why everybody dies is because Adam did something disobedient. Okay? And it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you may or may not be a rascal and a sinner. You may be, you may not. Okay? That's not why you die. Why you die is because you're a child of Adam. So what Paul is saying here is just as everybody died because of Adam, so everybody will be saved because of Yeshua. In other words, if we didn't all die because of Adam, then we couldn't all die or be saved because of Yeshua. It's the same mechanics, is what he's saying. Am I saying that so it makes sense to you? And he'll say that in several different ways as we go through here. 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. So what he's saying is what I just said, except that he's saying it more compactly. The reason everybody died, even if you didn't eat of the forbidden fruit, is because you're a child of Adam. And Adam, by the way, is a type of the one who was to come, which is to say a type of Messiah. Okay? And the way I understand that to be is when Eve made them listen to the snake and ate, it was theoretically possible for Adam to look at it and... and there's no question that Adam would have been able to look at her and tell that her state had changed. Okay. In other words, I don't think that she slipped it surreptitiously into an apple pie. I'm serious. I'm very serious. And, and he would have been able to look at her and tell that her status has changed. One of the things that he could have done is said, whoa, babe, you're in trouble. Stay away from me. Okay. He could have done that in which case he never would have committed the sin. He chose instead to follow her. And in doing so, he made it possible for her eventually to be redeemed because through her would come the Messiah who would be the redemption. Without him following her, there would have been no possibility for her to have been redeemed. So in that sense, he is a type of the one to come. He's also a type of the one to come in that just as every, all of his children died because of him, 
so all of mankind will be saved because of Yeshua. So in that sense, they're also typical because what they do sets things for their progeny. 